This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello, welcome to episode 152 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Broadcast has recently partnered with Unreach to bring you a series called Margins to Mike, where we're hearing voices from the global church. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Karen Kachatrian from Armenia, who teaches as a Middle Eastern man on how to read the Bible as a Middle Eastern book in its cultural context. You can find the full notes on everything that was said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 152. So here is Karen Kachatrian. It's a real pleasure to be able to share with you with this subject. It's studying the Bible from the Middle East perspective. And of course, because of time, we'll be a bit short. Um, but um, I hope you'll find it helpful. Um, there are certain things as a Middle Eastern person I'm looking for when I'm reading a Bible. And it's kind of because of I live in the same culture. It's easy for me to pick up those things. Um, you know, the Bible is not Western book. It wasn't written by Westerners or to Westerners. It's totally been developed in the Middle East. So uh, it's important to understand the Middle East mindset to fully understand what Bible tells us. Um, I, I developed two approaches. There are seven keys. Um, which will help you to understand uh, better. And these seven keys are within two groups or two approaches. First is, I call it zoom out approach. And second, it's a zoom in approach. What is zoom out approach? Zoom out approach is looking to the Bible, looking to the culture of Bible from the wider perspective. Look at, the way it's unique in his culture, in the way of representing uh, stories and um, information, people, uh, everything uh, in it. Uh, First important thing is to understand um, that all Middle East nations, they have um, this, this grand narrative thing. It's a big history. The history of their nation, the history of origin, history of uh, developing their ethnic and national identity and history of their hope. Um, and all the, all the nations in Middle East, particularly Jewish people as well, who happen to written Bible, um, have this grand narrative. So this grand narrative is in the Bible. And uh, it uh, answers the questions like every person who grows in an ethnic community, in ethnic a social um, entity would ask who we are and where are we coming from, uh, why we are so different from the, the rest of the world, where are we fitting uh, as an ethnic group in the, this variety of family of ethnic groups around us, and what's our hopes for future, where are we heading? So the grand narratives uh, is a grand narrative is a story who gives answer to these questions. 
So it combines, combines two important things. It's genealogy. It's a line of people who, who been part of this, uh, ethnic group. And sagas. It's a stories of heroes. Um, and these stories of heroes gives us, um, answer to question, uh, who are our models? Models of behavior, beha uh, models of values, uh, as ethnic group we carry. And we see it kind of condensed in these heroic stories. So the Bible, basically, the history, part of history of the Bible, uh, has these two uh, things in this grand narrative. It's genealogy, uh, the answer of origins, uh, how we, how everything started, or particularly for Jewish um, nation. And we have to remember that Moses, or then Samuel, and then Ezra, and others who were writing, adding, and editing the story, the grand narrative story, they, they had this in their mind to keep their national ethnic identity and pass it on to the next generation. So all the stories and details and people, uh, sub-stories, everything is for that uh, particular purpose. And of course, part of ethnic uh, identity is also the part of, it's a um, religious identity and why we worship this great I am or Yahweh God rather than others should be explained and kept as a part of um, identity. Um, another thing is to understand within the grand narrative. Uh, grand narrative combines by, combined by smaller narratives, smaller stories, and they have different size. And the size is important. If the size of story or sub-story is big, then the character, the personage, the meaning, the moral or spiritual meaning of the story is important. If the story is short, then the meaning is short. The, the weight it carries is short. Another thing to understand about the grand narrative, uh, that the grand narrative and sub-stories combined in dualistic way. The structure and personage are dualistic. Like um, everything is in twos, in duels, heaven and earth, light and darkness, tree of life and tree of death, male and female, um, Cain and Abel, there always two, and um, in, particularly in Cain and Abel, it's obvious that uh, one is kind of opposed to another, one is always good character, another is bad character. Um, Isaac Ishmael, Jacob Isu, Moses Pharaoh, Abraham, Nimrod, Peter and Judah, they always there are two dualistic, these two characters always combined in personage. Structure of story itself, sub-stories or stories, they always have this dualistic way of ups and downs. Always story goes up, something good things happens, and then goes down, something bad thing happens. And then again, something good things happen, and then bad things happen again. So if you read the Bible and you find in the stories, in sub-stories, two good stories in a row, it might be you're missing something, some bad story, some negative thing happened in between, and you just missed it. Um, the second thing in zoom-out perspective or approach, 
uh, is important that we have to understand that for Middle East people, social group is more important than individual. The personal achievements are good, but if they are good if they're only serving to the needs of community, like Joseph, story of, story of Joseph. He became a big guy in Egypt, but in the end of the story, as he understood, and the rest of guys understood, and we understand, that that was serving for benefit of his own people, on his own family. Uh, another story from New uh, Testament, from the Gospels. It's a great story when Peter walked on the, on the sea like Jesus walked. And have you noted that wherever Jesus has seen any faith, he always praised, but in these situations, never. Um, instead, he reproved uh, Peter. Um, that every preacher almost once preached about how great faith Peter had and brought it kind of an example. But not in the story. Actually, all those who are preaching Peter as a good example of faith, they failed because it's not about that. It's about how arrogant was Peter leaving his fearful, scared brothers and friends in a boat and just want to be out of boat, leaving them um, without carrying them. And the story ends when Jesus took him back to the boat where he had to belong with his friends because Jesus doesn't need his big faith on a sea. He needs his big faith in a boat with his uh, fearful brothers and friends. And the story ends with uh, everyone, those in the boat, worshiping him and saying, truly, you are the son of God. And no word about Peter. It wasn't truly you are the son of God and Peter you're the next best faith man. Well, third thing to watch in a zoom out perspective, it's an honor and shame. The, the Middle East cultures are shame-based culture. And the, the, the most important thing for, for community life is shaming or honoring. Um, there's a good teaching about this given by our brother, um, Andy McCulloch, so please follow that. But I will, I just want to mention one example of that. When in Mark chapter 5, uh, Mark tells a story about Jairus, a ruler of synagogue, who came to Jesus and asked that he could go and heal his daughter. Um, and she was 12 years old, and now she was ill and just about to die. So he asked Jesus to come, and Jesus went with him. And within that story of uh, Jesus healing Jairus' daughter, another sub-story emerges, almost in every gospel. Um, a woman who had bleeding for 12 years approached secretly to Jesus and touched to his garments and would get healed. You know the story. And what's important in this, part, in this story that the way Jesus approaches to this lady, first of all, he stays, steers, find the person who approached to him. And when this lady, she, she find out that, she, that uh, she can't be hidden, so she came up. What Jesus said to her, Jesus said, daughter, your faith made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. 
it's not just about great faith this lady had. This woman was acting upon the shame, not upon the faith or only or upon the, um, the law. According to the law, she, she couldn't have, she wouldn't touch anybody else. But what impressed Jesus, or rather amazed Jesus, and Mark emphasizing in this story, no man brought this woman to Jesus. Like Jairus represent her daughter, he shamed himself, nailing down before Jesus for her daughter. But 12 years, he never thought about this lady. She, she'd been part of their community, and as a ruler of synagogue, he had to take care of her. He had to know her. He had to brought, bring this lady to Jesus as he brought, her, or brought the issue of her daughter. And in fact, Jesus naming the lady the, with the same word, with Jairus calling her daughter. This In Greek, it's uh, tirazir. And he came to Jesus and said, my tirazir is sick. And Jesus calling to this lady now, uh, tirazir, your fate is well gone, peace, and be healed. Exactly same words what Jairus was asking Jesus for, her daughter, uh, come and that she may be well. And now Jesus telling this woman, your faith may be well, daughter. He's kind of shaming um, Jairus, who put to shame this lady, not caring about her, because she was despised, rejected, um, uncovered. No man was representing her. And now Jesus is covering her representing her in front of other men, other people. Um, that, that will be a um, zoom-out approach, understanding great narrative, personage issues, structure, story, social group, honor and shame. Now let's go to the zoom-in approach. With several things, keys, we have to see into the text. If zoom-out, we understand the culture behind now in Zoom in, we look to the text to see key things. Several things. Numbers are important. In Middle East, cultures, numbers are rounded all the time. People like to round numbers up or down. So wherever numbers is given, they're important. Like in the same story, 12 years of the uh, suffering of this lady and the girl was 12 years old, of Jairus' daughter. So these 12 connecting together. 12 years, one was suffering, another was enjoying um, her daughter. So it's with these numbers, um, Mark is connecting two stories together. Um, names are important. Um, all in the Middle East, um, everyone would ask you, if you represent yourself and tell what's your name, they would say, oh, uh, what that means, what your name means. Because for Middle East mind, Names mean something, and it's important what they mean. And we see God always giving the name to people or changing the names. Uh, for instance, he doesn't say to Abraham, okay, guy, uh, you have no son, name them the way you want. He always names people he's choosing. Uh, Jesus was changing the name of these disciples. It's important to understand what that name means. So if any time you find a name, uh, translated or not translated, go dig and find out what that name means. And there is a meaning behind that. It's connected to the story, connected to the um, 
uh, issue it brought. For instance, uh, in the story of Abraham, when he, when he had his son, first son, Ishmael, God, that, God told that name, call him Ishmael, which means um, God hears. And then he called another name, another son from uh, Sarah, Isaac, which means laugh, laughs, he laughs or laughs. Can you imagine when somebody will ask Abraham, do you have sons? Yes, two. What are their names? Um, Ishmael and Isaac. It sounds just names for us, but for Middle East person, understanding the meaning, it would sound, what's the name of your sons? Well, God hears and he loves. What kind of names they are? My sons are God hears and he loves. God hears and he loves. That's the power of the name, because what people said, what that means? Why you had that names for your sons? And that would reveal the purpose behind that. Uh, another thing um, is good to look. Its way of dressing or approach is important. Sometimes question will be important to understand why this question is given. Um, in a plain sense, question means something, but uh, actually it might have a different meaning, Just not just what it's about. For instance, in Genesis 18, when angels asked uh, Abraham sitting at his tent, uh, where's your wife Sarah? It wasn't just about being polite about his wife, but actually it was hint that his wife failed to do what she had to do as a good housewife. She had to receive guests, she had to serve them, but instead she stayed at her tent and poor Abraham was running and uh, acting as a wife, as a servant. So that question is hint to understand the approach. Um, another uh, thing to watch to see in a, another thing to see in a text, it might be uh, the words being sarcastic or irony, they carry some uh, sense of irony. There's a lot of emotions uh, in the text of Bible because Middle East people are very emotional people. So irony and sarcasm is always part of the uh, emotions. For instance, Genesis 21, 12, when um, Sarah asked Abraham to get rid of the servant woman with the son, and it said that it was hard for Abraham. And God said to him, whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. That was irony. To tell Middle East men that listen to your wife, it was an irony. It was a slap to the face. But God was hinting, referring, when Abraham had heard the voice of his wife in the first place in Genesis 16 and went to Hagar to have uh, Ishmael. Another was, let's say, from uh, New Testament, Mark 4, 38, when um, they went into the storm with disciples, to you know the story, and Jesus was sleeping, and they came and they wake him up, woke him up and said, Teacher, do not care that we are perishing? And this, this calling him teacher, it wasn't really out of respect. It, because we, we love Jesus and we think these disciples loved him too. Actually not. I mean, they love him, but not the way we love now. We understand him as a master and lord. Um, it's the first time they're calling him a teacher. 
and calling in in the middle of the storm. Why? Because he was teaching all day long on the on the on the short, and now he took them, forced them actually to go into the sea in the evening when the weather is changing is the most dangerous time, and he forced them to go in that time. So they kind of referring to him, "Hey, teacher, you are teaching all day long, and we get into trouble." Because of you, and you are not caring about this. So it was irony, not just respect. It's the way the middle person, middle East person, would read it. Another thing to watch: the last thing I would share with you, it's honor or dishonoring. Um, if the name of person is in the story, it gives him an honor. So when, let's say, um, in a story of. Um, rich man and uh, poor Lazarus. In the story, Jesus names the Lazarus. He immediately gives him an honor, and immediately he dishonors the um, rich man without naming him. Or when in Luke 15, in a parable, we all know the parable of a prodigal son. When the, the prodigal son five times or young son, actually, five times, calls his father as a father. Father, my father, my father has this, my father. He always called him father. When he came back, he said, father, I sinned. He always called him as a father and honors him. But the, young, the oldest son, he never calls his father. He even just call, talks to him without naming him. He said, all this year just worked for you. He wasn't honoring. And then we see the father, how father calls them. Father says about his young, younger son, he said, my son, Helos, is back, and that Greek word means truly son. But when he uh, calls to the, when he speaks to the oldest son, he used different word, technon, which means just, just young man, kind of, not personal son. It's kind of showing that you're not acting as my own son. So th the way people giving honor or taking honor uh, in the text shows the, how they're really approaching to the person. So I hope this was helpful. God bless you. Have a good time. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that was said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 152. See you next time.